0: Get your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Last Wednesday night, uh, I made a feeble attempt to begin uh, what I would like to continue tonight concerning what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight, I want to go to the fifth chapter uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He is remember Matthew is the tax collector. He is the collector, and so uh, he has brought together all of the teachings of Christ when he was on the earth with his disciples. What he taught them concerning the kingdom of God. Luke uh, records many of these, but not in the condensed order that you find them here in Matthew's writings Uh, not a contradiction it's just simply Matthew was an order uh, orderly man and uh, he was a, a, a numbers man a bookkeeper I guess you could call him and so list and things of that nature you just bring it all together and it's evident this was not one sermon that Jesus taught Uh, I don't think anybody could have lasted that long, but uh, we can't even last 35 minutes sometimes. So I know we couldn't have lasted the length of this teaching. So we understand that it's an accumulation, but it is an accumulation of kingdom principles. And I want to say that again and again, because I feel like that's what the Lord has directed my mind toward. And so we're going to read tonight from the 17th verse of the 5th chapter. Actually, 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew make up the totality of what is called the Sermon on the Mount or the teachings of Christ, the condensed, distilled essence of his teaching and uh, the principles that he put into his disciples concerning the kingdom of God. And in verse number 17... Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law Till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I feel like tonight would be a good time to stop and go back, uh, not over what, I said last Wednesday night, but go back and set the stage for this particular set and series of teachings. I think for us to fully benefit from the reading of this passage, this whole context of scriptures, I think you have to understand the background and the backdrop. Uh, from which it is taken and the times to really appreciate the power. And the reason I say that is because understanding what I want to share with you tonight has made me go back and look again at these things that Jesus taught and many others that are throughout the word of God and understand them in a fuller light and understand them in a deeper meaning. I think the depth of what Jesus spoke in this setting can only be understood when you fully embrace the environment, the spiritual setting of that day and the weight of what he said is astonishing and perhaps our text tonight is part of the most astonishing of all the things that are said in chapter five, six, and seven. He speaks in this particular passage of the character of the law that is eternal, that it will not pass away. And yet Paul, when he picked up his pen in time to come, would write that Christ was the end of the law. And even Jesus himself, If you read the New Testament very carefully, you find that he himself broke this law, that, or or, he broke what the Jews called the law. And when you look at what he did, he didn't observe evidently the hand washing that they considered to be part of the law. He uh, healed on the Sabbath, and that was considered work. That was a violation of the Sabbath. He was condemned and he was crucified as a lawbreaker. And yet here he speaks of the law with such veneration and reverence that even the Pharisees could not stand next to him. And he spoke about it in these terms. Not one jot or one tittle shall pass from this law. Now, a jot was the smallest part of the letter. It was like our asterisk, insignificant little asterisks, or a hyphen or some little markation. The, the tittle that he talked about was actually the smallest detail of an individual letter, such as just take an I, for instance, a capital I. When he talked about a tittle, he was talking about just a segment of even that cross piece that makes up the letter I. And he said not one of those things is going to pass. That's how important the law is. And all of that seems a contradiction when you read the rest of Scripture and it declares, especially in this writing itself, that he points out five of their laws, and he shows the fallacy of what they taught. Now, to understand that, we need to talk about what was he talking about when he talked about the law? Well, what he was talking about as law, what they talked about as law, were two vastly different things. Now, to them, understanding what the law meant was one of four things. It either meant the Ten Commandments, or it was used in reference to the five first books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch, or it was talking about the entirety of Old Testament Scripture, or it was talking about the oral scribal law that had been passed down from generation to generation that was their interpretation of the original Ten Commandments. And so when Jesus in this reference talked about the law, he was talking about this latter understanding, their scribal oral law that had been passed down from generation to generation. And now it had accumulated so much weight and volume that they had to have books to interpret books so that you could understand what, that particular law meant you see the initial law given was not a rule it was a principle I've said this many times the 10 commandments if you really understand them are not commandments at all but they are commitments that if you will do these things God will bless you in this way now I understand that you can interpret them they are very strict they are very narrow They're very limited in their scope, but they were principles that were supposed to govern the lives of men and help them develop the rules of life that they would live by according to those principles. And this is what happened. As time passed, later generations of the Jews didn't feel like that these 10 principles were enough, that we need interpretation They held that the law was divine and it was God's last word and therefore everything must be in it. Everything about life had to be in those 10 commandments, whether it was explicitly said or implicitly referred to. So they argued that out of the law it was possible to deduce a rule or a regulation for every possible situation of life. And there arose a group that we know of as scribes. And their whole job and business was to take those great principles of the law and define them for men so they would know how to fulfill them. And so out of those 10 commandments came thousands, yea, thousands of rules and regulations. And I'm going to explain a little. Please bear with me for a moment. This is very important for you to grasp because this is the setting that Jesus came into. This was the mindset that he was having to deal with. This was the spiritual atmosphere that he stepped into when he began to teach the things that he taught. And so they took things like, The Sabbath is to be a holy day. And they interpreted that to mean that you should not work on the Sabbath. Well, in order to really understand that principle, you had to, somebody had to define what does work mean. If you're not going to break the Sabbath and you're not going to break the law of the Sabbath, then somebody needs to define for us what work means. And so the great principle that God gave had to be defined. So what does work become? And so all kinds of things were classified as work, such as what a burden was, because a burden was work. You see where I'm going? I mean, they split a hair and they split the split of the hair. And so here's what they came up with. Such things as A burden. So, what is a burden when you define a burden by scribal law? It was laid down to be food that was equal to the weight of a dried fig. If you carried any kind of weight that was heavier than a dried fig, you were working and thus you were breaking the Sabbath. Or enough milk for one swallow. If you had more than that, you were breaking the law. Or enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet. Or enough reed to make one pen. And so countless hours were spent arguing these points. Did a tailor commit sin if he went out of the house on the Sabbath with a needle in his robe? Because a needle back then weighed more than a dried fig. Or if a woman wore a brooch on her clothing, the weight of that brooch was far more than the weight of a dried fig. So is she breaking the law? you understand where I'm going with this? Or whether one could go out of the house even with your artificial teeth in. Because, I mean, those things are heavy. At least the wooden ones were. <laughs> Some of you need to smile. You act like you're about to die right now. Or maybe I'm boring. you. I don't know. And, and here's, here's, to write, to write was to work on the Sabbath. So writing had to be defined. Well, what do we mean when we say we're writing something? And so they determined that if you wrote with the left hand or with the right hand more than two letters, you were working. Now, you could violate that law in some way if you didn't write the same letter you could write a letter on the wall and a letter on the paper, and that wasn't sinning you hadn't broken anything or you could write in the sand because sand was transit it was moving and it wasn't permanent and so you weren't you could do all you could write all you wanted to in the sand or the dirt or the dust and you hadn't broken any law but <laughs> oh, but, but if you were to pick up a, a pen and write with different colored ink more than two letters, you were working and you had broken the law of the Sabbath. And so healing on the Sabbath was forbidden. It was work. So they had to determine what does healing consist of. Well, they defined healing is that if it was the danger to life, you could do it. But all you could do was put a bandage over the sword. You couldn't put ointment under the bandage because you'd be working. This is the law that Jesus had to deal with. It's amazing that when it gets in our hands, how convoluted, We can make what God made so simple. And so years passed and this interpretation of the law was passed. It was kept orally for years. They passed it down generation to generation until about the third century when it was made and codified in books and volumes. And this became known as the Mishnah. And it was composed of 63 treatises of various subjects of the law. And in English writing, it was 800 pages long. Ten commandments that on a page that I printed before I came out here was about that much space of printed ink, they could turn into 800 pages of rules and regulations And they were in love with that. They considered that to be the law of God. Now you understand why when Jesus came and started teaching the things that he taught, why he was considered a rabble rouser. Because he contradicted what they had been teaching. And so later on, scholars busied themselves making commentaries of the Mishnah That's called the Talmud. And there were 12 Jerusalem volumes of Talmud. And I don't know how many pages that consisted of. And there were 60 volumes of the Babylonian Talmud. And they all came from 10 commandments. That God gave them in the beginning. So when Jesus came on the scene the essence of religion, the essence of relationship with God had been boiled down to these rules and regulations that many of them had nothing to do with the law, but a man's interpretation. And so this is what they call true religion. This was what they called righteousness. And so Pharisees, became a sect of men whose whole life goal was to fulfill all of those rules that the scribes had written. That's why they thought they were better than everybody else because if you can keep all those volumes, I have a hard time keeping this one right here. Must less 60, 72 more volumes. And so when Jesus came on the scene, the law that God had given, men had made it into something other than what he intended. Religion to them, relationship, the, well, that word didn't really even enter in because it really wasn't about a relationship with him. It was about making sure that you kept all of the rules. Now, you could be as mean and dirty and scandalous as you could be in other areas, but if you knew how to read that book and you could do all those things, then you were considered righteous. That's why Jesus would later talk about them. They're straining at a gnat a, a, a and they're swallowing a camel. He said, you're, you're dead people leading people into a, a death trap. And so their service to God was a matter of keeping thousands of legalistic rules and regulations and they regarded these petty rules as matters of life and death and eternal destiny. Now, listen to me. I'm not, I'm not making light of rules and regulations. But what these had forgotten was the more important part of what God tried to give them in the beginning. And when Jesus said not one of these would pass away, he was not talking about the polluting influence that the scribes and the Pharisees had put on the original law. He was going back to the original meaning of what God had given and bringing it to light and helping men understand what those laws and principles were really for and how they should affect and govern my life. And he sought to take men just like you and I and women like you, he he sought to take them back to the true law and the real meaning of the law for man to seek God and his will and know it and then obey it. And so Jesus set out to reestablish the principles of the true meaning of the law, the things that would rule and govern and direct our lives. So what was the meaning of the law? If you go back to the original Ten Commandments, what was the meaning of those Ten Commandments? If you condense them, what are two words that could describe all Ten Commandments? Two words reverence and respect. Reverence and respect. Reverence of God, God's word, God's things, God's purpose, God's plan, God's creation, God's gifts, and then respect of mankind, of life, property personality, truth, yourself. All of those laws could be condensed to two simple principles of reverence and respect. And these two things are the fundamental hinges upon which all true law must be built. And when you lose that, when you forget that, when you go past that, What man creates is a monster. What man created was something that could not be done, no matter how perfect a man lived. The obedience of these principles was found, according to them, in sacrifice, but according to him, mercy. According to them, obedience was obeying the legal But to him, it was understanding the love that gave the principle. Not in prohibitions, but in instructions and principles that would mold their lives with the right kind of commandments. That are generated from love. God did not give one commandment because he was mad at Israel, because he wanted to take vengeance out on his people. He gave commandments to them because he loved them above all the people of the earth. And when God deals with you and I, he does not ask of me things because he is angry with me. He does not ask things of me because he wants to punish me. He asks things of me because he loves me. And when I understand love is the motivation, it's not hard to keep the rule. Amen. The motive that Christ espoused was something higher. Amen. Everybody say higher. The law of God or the love of God. You can have both of them if you understand their proper order. Amen. Jesus brought focus to the character that should precede action and drive my behavior. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I get to. There's a whole world of difference between the motivation for why you do things as a spouse and why you do things because you have a boss, and I hope they're not the same. <sighs> oh, praise the Lord. Yeah. I don't. My wife doesn't have to get our marriage certificate out every other day or every week and say, You remember this? That's not what keeps me doing the things that I do. I do them because there's a relationship that was founded on something deeper than a rule. You see, here's what's wrong. And we Pentecostals are some of the best at keeping rules. But not paying much attention to our relationship. That's why Jesus talked about you keep the outside of the cup all clean, but the inside of the cup is full of dead men's bones. You see... We misunderstand something about him. It's not that a rule is not important. But when you elevate that rule above love, you have created a monster. You have created something that will turn you into something other than what he intended that rule to turn you into. But if you can ever fall in love with and that's all God ever wanted Israel to do, was just fall in love with him. And if they would love him the way he loved them, there wouldn't be a problem with these rules. There wouldn't be a problem with these things that he gave them to live by. But it's when they took those and they started making them a law to themselves. And they they severed relationship from him And it became all about what they did or they didn't do. And you know what? I hate to say this, Pentecostals. I'm one of you. I've been one of you all my life. But I have lived long enough to know that there's a lot of us that can go through all the routine and the ritual and when you look at us all the outside of the cup looks good and we keep all the law and all the rule but there's some weightier things sometimes that go lacking in our life because we do it because if we don't do it somebody's going to say something or if we don't live it somebody's going to call our hand on it. No sir, the reason I live it tonight is because a long time time ago at an altar I fell in love with him and he's done so much for me I could not do enough for him but I can tell you this if you live by the law there are limits to the law and that's why the Pharisees could say I want you to know God I've been better than everybody else I'm not like that dirty old sinner over there man he's a scoundrel That's why the rich young ruler could come before the Lord and say, I need eternal life. I want eternal life. And he said, okay, you really want eternal life? Keep the commandments. Oh, keep the commandments. Oh, Oh, yeah. I keep the commandments. No, he hadn't. He had kept what the scribes described as the commandment. But he had never gotten in touch with the real commandment because the real commandment demanded a relationship with somebody. And that man that was sitting at the roadside or that goal that you had doesn't really belong to you. It belongs to God. So give it up, give it all and and come and follow me. And He couldn't do it. He stumbled. He choked on that because that was too much of an expectation for God to put on his life. You see, when you go look at, and when you start looking at these three chapters, and you start reading all the things that Jesus talked about, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the meek, and all those things, you begin to understand that what he was trying to take them back to, there was a righteousness that describes what they presented and what they fashioned, and they showcased for Israel, and they said, this is what righteousness looks like. And the Lord said, oh, no, that's not righteousness at all. That's a facade. Let me take you back to what real righteousness looks like. And real righteousness doesn't have as much to do with your outside as it has to do with your inside. Now, you listen to me. I didn't say you can ignore your outside. Because you can ignore your outside. No more than you can ignore a rule. But you got to make sure you get the thing in right order. You fall in love with him and it doesn't matter what he asks you to do. It doesn't matter what he tells you you ought to do. You're willing to do it because you love him and because there's a relationship with him. But if you get that reversed, there'll come a point in time in your life when you look at it and you say, Well, I don't know why we have to do that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that separation. I don't believe that holiness stuff. I, that's, that's old stuff. Listen to me. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He did not come to throw a kick and cause a controversy and a war between the old and the new or the past and the present. He said, I have come to show you that both of them are needed for one. Amen. We need to stay connected. He didn't do away with that. He said, I've come to fulfill. I've come to show you what those rules that you have interpreted should look like. And so when he starts preaching, he doesn't talk about the the, the, the color of their clothes. He doesn't talk about the height of their hairdo or 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 all the things that, and, and, and I'm just using our terminology because in their terminology, it would have been something else, how long the phylacteries were or how perfect you know, they'd make sure all of those other things had been done. But he said, I want to show you what the real law looks like. The real law doesn't begin on the outside. The real law begins on the inside. And so he talks about stuff like attitudes. Go read the B attitudes. Remember, B attitude. You know what to be means? It's a state or condition of being. This is what I am. An attitude (laughs) is a posture that you take toward life. And it is how you or I carry ourselves in life. And so he talks about in those beatitudes, my attitude toward myself, my attitude toward others, my attitude toward things, my attitude toward people that hurt me and misuse me and abuse me. Oh, he talked about not only attitude. He talks about influence. Influence. He said, "You're salt." You're the salt of the earth. What was salt good for? Back in those days, there were basically three things. We've come up with a lot more. But in their day, there were basically three things. Preservative. An enhancer of taste. Amen. That's what we are. We are to be salt to the earth. We're not to keep what we have in here just between these four walls. Our influence needs to be felt out there, not in here. We don't come in here to perform for one another. We go out there to live out what we say we believe in here. And when we go in the street, there's got to be something about my life that makes people want to know, what is it that keeps you so happy? What is it that keeps you so joyful? What is it that you have that I don't know anything about? He said, you're the light of the world. Light. Light pushes out darkness. Light dispels fear. That's the influence that I should have in the environment and the culture that I live in. If I live according to the law. Relationships. He talked about relationships in several different settings. I don't have time to go into all of them. But Jesus taught that they had had it wrong. Relationship, let let me say it like this. Rules do not make relationships. Relationship is what makes rules work. And they missed the principle and got lost in the performance. I said they missed the principle because they were lost. Showing up on the Sabbath, making sure everybody saw them, making sure their offerings were bigger and louder and drew more attention than anybody else's. And so he talks about my, my, my issues, my human issues in relationship. He talked about anger, murder, and, and how that anger escalates. It starts out as an emotion, and then it becomes words that you throw out at people, and you hurt them. Raka. Fool. And then he talked about adultery. Oh, good Lord. Morality came into the picture. You say, well, I'm going to have that problem. Well, it's amazing what he talked about, about adultery being. He said, if you look upon a woman, now the word look doesn't mean just a glance. It means a continual looking. And it doesn't just apply to men. It applies to women as well. It's not so much about the glance. It's about that lingering. He said that, that to look upon a woman in that regard was to commit adultery. He elevated the law so that we would understand that it's more than just about some things that you consider it to be. It has to do with the issues of the heart. You see, the heart is the center of all my actions, my desires, my thoughts. My thoughts are important to God because thoughts drive actions. And thought was what was important to the deed that was done. And that's why he elevated that and said, hey... When you, you, you think adultery is just you, you, you getting in bed with, with a woman that's not your wife, but that's not what real adultery. Adultery can be something that goes on in the mind and the heart. It's something that nobody can see that's hidden beneath the surface. It's in your desire. It's in your thoughts. And Jesus elevated these things to a level of an act. He said it's the same as. He talked about motive. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? So people will see it. They'll glorify man and not God. He talked about our word, our conversation. He talks about living on a higher level of living. He said it's not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But he said if if you are asked for your coat, give him your cloak also. If your enemy does this to you. He said, I want to talk to you about a higher way of living. I want to talk to you about the way of love. Love your enemies. (laughs) I have a hard time loving my my friends. (laughs) He talked about not retaliating. and Here's the reason. Because when you and I retaliate, We generally extract a price greater than the original offense. We get our fingers smashed, we're going to cut their heads off. He said, I have a better way to live. Take it. Receive. Just take it. Suffer those things. Just zip your lip. And just step up to a higher level and create a climate where it's easier to overcome difficulties and reconcile. Don't make it worse by your reaction. Understanding the avenues of the heart are my eyes. When the eyes single, when the eye is single, interesting statement, and I'm going to close. They've thrown the, my, 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 they're, they're making my camera back there bigger so I can see what time it is. The eyes are the windows of the soul. And he, he talks about if the eye is single, and it was a literal reference to the old lamps that were used for lighting and how that the globe of that, the, 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 the glass part of it, because the wick wasn't trimmed properly, it would smoke and the soot would, would, dis, would fill up the inside of the globe to, to the point that it began to distort light. So when you sweep the house and there's smoke on the globe, you can't really see all the corners and you sweep and you think it's clean and and it's not really clean at all. He said, that's why your eye is so important that you keep that window clean because that's the way I'm going to communicate. That's the way I'm going to talk to you. That's how I'm going to be able to help you understand. And if that window gets dirty or smudged or it gets broken or whatever, it diffracts light. You can't see clearly. You're going to misunderstand my purpose in your life. He talked about understanding the consequences of my choices. He talked about two builders, and I'm closing. You can stand with me. Two builders, one built on the sand, one built on the rock. And all of that teaching, the summation, if you took all of those three chapters and you just begin to squeeze them and and just just squeeze out of them the essence of what Jesus was trying to teach them, there are three fundamental things and I mentioned them last week. He showed them what true righteousness was. He showed them what true worship was. Prayer, giving, sacrifice. He showed them what true wisdom looked like. And you know what, church? If I can ever get back in this book the way I really need to be in this book, and I can begin to absorb what he has said here, it would make my life so much easier and so much simpler. Because I get hung up and I think, well, you know what? I look pretty good tonight, man. My hands are upright. I know all the words on the overhead. And yet, something's wrong on the inside. And he wasn't saying that to say that rules don't matter. Rules do matter. Regulations do matter. But if you get those things convoluted, like the human mind can do them, you can think, that you've kept all the rules. And because you've kept all the rules, God ought to, he ought to view you as righteous. And God said, oh, I would except I've been looking deeper. (laughs) And what I see beneath all of that facade doesn't even come close to identifying with who I am and what I represent and what you should represent. That's why I want to start on the inside. My pastor always told me that holiness always began in the heart. And unfortunately, we Pentecostals have been really good about making it about the outside. And I'm not saying the outside's not important. It is important. It is critically important. But you can have all of that right. And that's not what's going to take you to heaven. It's what's on the inside of you. It's that heart that has been purged and cleansed. It's that attitude that you keep bringing back to the altar. I had to bring mine today. I had to bring mine today and lay it on the altar and say, God, I don't like this guy. I don't like the way I've reacted. I don't like the way I've spoken. I don't like the things I've said. Forgive me. Help me. That's what living for God really ought to be about. It's not about a lot of things that we, it's keeping ourselves humble to realize I'm not as important as I think I am. Amen. God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit, attitude within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. If there's anything I can tell Greater Life Church tonight is fall in love with him. Don't fall in love with me. Don't fall in love with this church. Don't fall in love with Pentecostalism. Fall in love with him. And when you fall in love with him, oh, you understand the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You understand the embrace of His Spirit. You understand the essence of holiness. You understand the reason that God said, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh God, help us tonight to, to, to begin to embrace kingdom principles. Oh Lord, that's what I want. I want true righteousness. I want true holiness. I want the true spirit of worship in my life. I don't want to be a sum that come and say, well, we worship in this mountain. And Jesus have to say, well, the true worshipers, let me tell you who the true worshipers are. The true worshipers are the worshipers that worship me in spirit and in truth. My brother told me the other day that one of those words comes from a root meaning relationship. That if you don't have a true relationship with him, you cannot truly worship him. That's amazing, folks. Oh, so what I need to do is, is just fall in love with him and, and make sure that that relationship is right, because that's what should drive my actions, not a rule, not a regulation. Amen And, and they're all great. They, we need all. We, we're going to keep all of them. I'm not preaching against them. Don't leave here and say, "Brother Hughes is going charismatic." He going like all those others. He just losing it. I'm not losing anything. I'm just trying to tell you that we better get back to where the real root is because what we produce otherwise is hypocrisy. And there's nothing God hates worse than hypocrisy. I think he hates that worse than sin. I do. I maybe I'm splitting the hair there, but I. I think he hates hypocrisy because hypocrisy is something that goes on under the banner of his name. And it presents a false image. Oh, God, help me. Just create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit in me and cast me not away from thy presence. And don't ever take your spirit from me, God. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, in me, in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Not make sure I'm, I, I, I did all the rules today, God. But create in me a clean heart. Amen. True righteousness. That's what I desire. I want to know how to truly worship him. I want to know what real wisdom looks like. I don't want people just to say, man, he's smart. I want wise decisions in my life, and the only way I can have those is to make sure that I keep my relationship with him on the level that it must be all the time amen and that takes work amen that takes work sometimes you have to cut an eye out to accomplish that sometimes you have to cut a hand off to accomplish that it's not easy he didn't even he didn't even begin to make them think it was an easy thing to do. But he said it's a worthwhile thing. Because it would be better for you or I to enter into life and enter into heaven main than to go into hell with all of our members. Because we couldn't control it or we couldn't, we couldn't submit it to God. We couldn't yield. In the name of Jesus today, Lord, help me right now. God, I'm not, I'm not preaching at these people. I'm preaching to me today. I feel a stirring in my spirit, God. I have got to get back to the basics of what living for you really means. The simple things, Lord. The relationship that you desire from me more than anything else to walk with you, to talk with you, to feel your heartbeat and let your love flow through me. That's what you desire. And that's what I need more than I need anything else in this world, God. And that's what I'm asking you to do for Greater Life Church. Help us to come to that place that we fall in love with you all over again, that we embrace that relationship Of love and mercy and grace. And out of that comes transformation. And we walk holy and we live godly and we walk purely and uprightly and do things that bring honor to your name. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you come back this weekend, you're going to have a new preacher. Amen. I promise you, you will. I'm serious. You're going to have a new preacher Sunday. God bless you. I'm not leaving, but you're going to have a new preacher. (laughs) In Jesus' name, you're dismissed.